You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Amazingly, I want you to think about this, a world which has been denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ for centuries now accepts the fact that here is a man who has conquered death. They admire his daring, his wisdom, his leadership, his military prowess, all of the attractive features of a great world leader in one individual, in one man. All of us want unity. That's a God-given desire. Unfortunately, we have a very clever enemy who knows how to use even the most noble human desires against us. He convinces us that we can find unity through war, government, money, religion, or a number of different means, anything but Christ. The truth is, only Jesus can bring unity that overcomes the selfishness in our hearts. As Pastor Mike will warn in today's message, it's this weakness that will allow many people who've rejected Jesus to welcome an antichrist. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 13 as he continues his message, The Trinity of Hell. In chapter 11, in verse 7, was the first uh, mention of this. And then once again, in one of our future studies, we'll get to that, and we'll we'll talk some more about this, in chapter 17, in verse 8. Which then means he is in league with the devil. He is energized by him. But then let's consider some of the other descriptions that are provided for us concerning the Antichrist. Notice the seven heads. Now, also in biblical numerology, the number seven indicates completeness. And so as it relates to his seven heads, I believe that that speaks of his wisdom, his head. He possesses great wisdom. But then let's go on in this description. Notice the ten uh, horns, which we've already talked about this. I believe that the final world government will consist of ten nations who come into league with this Antichrist. And they join him. In fact, remember last time as a cross-reference for this? uh, You know, quickly, in fact, let's go back and revisit that. In chapter 17, in verse uh, 12, it tells us there the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they will receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast or the Antichrist. So I believe that these ten horns represent federated power. 
And then also notice in the further description provided for us there, the crowns. And I believe that those crowns represent his ruling authority. Okay, so put that description all together. The restless world will be desperate for a leader. And it, I mean, come on, think about that. Isn't the world today desperate for a leader? And uh, man, we're looking for someone, right? Who can draw all of these different factions, particularly here in the United States of America, with all of the different factions, with all of the chaos, with all of the confusion, with all of the anarchy that's going on, you know, across our nation right now. We're looking for a leader. And uh, we don't, i got to tell you something, I don't think we have a lot, an awful lot to pick from, do we? But that's the way that this, this person, the Antichrist, is going to rise uh, to power. Because the multitudes will see in him the possibility of bringing all of these factions of, of different people uh, together. And so the restless world will be desperate for a leader. And this man, the Antichrist, will represent the unregenerated mass of humanity, what will appear to be the solution to the world's problems. But listen, all of his genius, all of his wisdom, all of his abilities only combine to blaspheme the name of God. Because notice what it says there in verse 1. Also, as a further description, and on his head was a blasphemous name. So all of that only combines to him blaspheming the name of God. Now, these descriptions in verse 2, let's go on. The different animals, this is interesting. And the description of these animals actually take us back to the book of Daniel in chapter 7. And there in the book of Daniel in chapter 7, we are told that Daniel dreamed a dream. And in that dream, he had a, re a vision that was given to him by God. And this vision had to do with succeeding world empires. Now, during which time that Daniel dreamt this dream and received this vision, the world kingdom that existed at that time was the kingdom of Babylon. And who was the king at that time? It was Nebuchadnezzar. So anyway, the description of these different animals represent these world kingdoms, succeeding world kingdoms, beginning uh, with the kingdom of Babylon. In other words, the Antichrist will possess the abilities and characteristics of the leaders of these three past world empires. In other words, he's going to be as ferocious as the lion, and the lion is used to depict the nation of Babylon, and as I've already mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar was its king, and overpowering as the bear, which represents the next world kingdom, preceding Babylon, which would have been what? The Media Persian Empire, which had two kings during its reign. Who were those two kings? Darius, and then the next succeeding king was King Cyrus. But then the third animal that's being pictured here was the leopard. That is, as swift as the leopard. And what was the next uh, kingdom in that order? It was the kingdom of Greece. Right? And history plays this out to be true. This, I'm just not appealing to the biblical record. You know, his, history tells us to be true. And who was the uh, leader of the Grecian Empire? 
it was Alexander. And I find it really interesting, particularly with uh, the identity and the, uh, uh, the, using the illustration of a leopard, you know, the idea swift as a leopard, Alexander the Great was its king. And I don't know if you knew anything, if you remember probably in world history, either in high school or if you studied uh, world history in college, if you know anything about Alexander the Great, think about this. Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that time when he was 25 years old. Can you imagine that? Uh, you know, many 25-year-olds are living in their mother's and father's basements, you know. But Alexander, and, I'm not, and you know, if that happens to be you, I, that's not a, you know, uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but, you know, in comparison, think about this, this 25-year-old's accomplishment at the age of 25 years old. You know, he conquered uh, the world, you know, at that particular time, the known world at that particular uh, time. So anyway, with that said, that now brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the great imposter. Okay, let's go back to our text now in verse 3. And I saw one of his heads, now again he's referring to the Antichrist here, and I saw one of his heads, John saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Okay, now, three times in this one chapter, the wound of the Antichrist is mentioned. Notice in verse 3, the verse that we just read, then again in verse 12, and then lastly in verse 14. Now, there are two interpretations here as it relates to uh, this wound. If the heads represent empires, then we're talking about the political death of an empire, and it's coming back into life. And therefore, uh, many Bible teachers hold to that view, and many Bible teachers believe that this is a reference to the last world empire that will exist uh, during the seven years of tribulation prior to Christ's coming again, this confederation of ten nations, a sort of revived Roman empire that will resurrect through the genius and personality of the Antichrist and will possess some of the same characteristics as did the Roman empire when it ruled the world under the various Caesars. Now, it would be sort of a political and religious combination. But, so that's one interpretation. But it is also possible that this, in fact, is a reference to the Antichrist being someone who had died and whom Satan will raise up again. And you know what? Uh, that belief is alluded to in the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah, in chapter 11, in verses 16 and 17. So let me give you the cross-reference for this. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off. I believe that this is a possible uh, reference to the Antichrist. Nor seek the young, nor heal those uh, that are broken, nor feed those that still stand but will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Verse 17. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock 
A sword, now here's the, now this is where I wanted you to focus in on. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely withered and his right eye shall be totally blinded. So this seems to suggest that there's going to be an assassination plot against the Antichrist during this particular uh, period of, uh, of time. And think about it. If, in fact, through this, he is actually killed, I want you to think about this, this would actually, and, and is brought back to life by the devil uh, himself, this would be a masterpiece of deception. A, if you think about it, a clever imitation of Christ and what Christ did and Christ accomplished. His death on the cross and then rising again on the third day. Now let me give you a cross-reference for this, something to think about. Let's jump ahead to Revelation chapter 17 in verse 8. And again, I think we have, and, and this alludes to this, uh, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 8, which is another description provided for us of the Antichrist. And it says there, the beast, the Antichrist, that you saw was, past tense, and now is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go to perdition, eventually, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel. Why will they marvel? Because he was killed and he came back to life. But notice the people who are marveling. It's not the church. It's those whose names are not written in the book of life. Whose names are not written in the book of life. From the, and that's, that's how, by the way, that's one of the ways that we become a member of God's church, right? Through faith in Christ. And uh, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the, of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So what does that suggest? It does possibly suggest that he was killed and he was brought back to life. So think about that. Wouldn't that be a masterpiece of deception? A clever imitation of Christ. Listen, gang, we're moving towards a one-world, unified political, and religious system. And the Antichrist will be the head of this confederation, a worldwide dictatorship under which all nations shall be consolidated into one great empire, reminiscent, and many people hold to this, of the former Roman Empire. Now let's go back to verse 3 again. And notice what it says there. And all the world marveled. They wandered after the beast. Why? Because in this man, they saw the possibility of overcoming death. But amazingly, I want you to think about this, a world which has been denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ for centuries now accepts the fact that here is a man who has conquered death. They admire his daring, his wisdom, his leadership, his military prowess, all of the attractive features of a great world leader in one individual, in one man. And so the leaders of nations will yield their thrones to him and he will be idolized. Now that brings us to our third point this morning, and that is worshiping the beast. Worshiping the beast. Okay, let's go back to our text. Verses 4 through 6. Are you guys with me? Okay? You following along? Am I explaining all of this okay? All right. 
verses 4 through 6. So they, who's they? The worldwide population. So they worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? It's the devil. You know, if the devil presented himself as the devil, people wouldn't work, bow down and worship him. But he's going to draw worldwide worship unto himself, that is the devil, through the Antichrist. You see that? Okay. So they worship the dragon. They're not even realizing that they're worshiping the, the dragon or the devil. Who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to make war with him? And by, by the way, again, I, I just love you know, the book of Revelation because, again, as I've already mentioned twice, we know how this whole thing turns out. You know, the Bible, the, the, the population of the world says, who is able to make war against the, the beast? But the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he comes back again, is destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Come on. He doesn't even have to, like, you know, draw a sword and, you know, hack away at the end. It's just through the brightness of his coming he's destroyed. I love that. And I just, I, I just love the book of Revelation because we know, again, how this whole thing works itself out. Now, verse 5 is very interesting. And I'm going to share with you a parallel uh, to what's recorded here uh, for us in just a moment. Verse 5. And he, the Antichrist, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months or three and a half years or the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation. But I want to emphasize, notice, he was given a mouth. Who was he given a mouth from? The devil speaking great things and blasphemies. You know, uh, something very similar to this took place when Hitler reigned in uh, Germany. And uh, one of Hitler's uh, generals, Goebel, uh, wrote a book. And he alluded to, in this book, when Hitler would uh, rise and stand before the people and address them, like, for example, in the city of Square, and begin to speak, he would memorize the people. And Goebbels, in his book, would suggest that uh, Hitler, when he began to speak, uh, came under a special anointing. But then again, also in that book, he said when he was alone with Hitler, he would fall to the ground and begin to chew on a rug and bark like a dog. Listen, let me tell you something. If you don't think Hitler was under the control of the devil, well, then you don't know nothing about the devil. Isn't that amazing? He would memorize, you know, the multitudes when he would stand in, in, in back of a platform uh, to address people. And Goebel would refer to that as he's fallen under the anointing. And what anointing did he fall under? I believe he fell under the anointing of the devil. And, and he was able to persuade people, you see. God brought the people under a great uh, delusion. Well, anyway, in verse 6, let's go on. Uh, uh, verse 6, then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Okay, so notice the wondering concerning the beast, the Antichrist, is now followed by worship, while the eternal triune God is blasphemed by the Antichrist. And millions upon millions will worship Satan, 
who controls this man of sin. Okay, let me give you a cross-reference for this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And remember, we've already talked about this. Two possible interpretations. The one, it's a reference to the rapture of the church when the church is taken out of here. And then the Antichrist is revealed, which begins the seven years of tribulation. Or this is a reference to an apostasy. In the last days, many will fall into this apostasy. And uh, so uh, either, or, you know, you have to come to your own conclusion concerning this. I don't want to be dogmatic about it. But it just kind of sets the, the uh, you know, gives us a time frame uh, to think about. And the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, and this is what I wanted to focus in on, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Remember, uh, the blaspheming God uh, through his speeches, through addressing the multitudes, uh, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the rebuilt temple of God, we've already talked about, showing himself that he is a God. So the worship of the Antichrist is then enforced by another beast who is known as, and we haven't been introduced to him yet, this is going to be the first time, as the false prophet. How many of you are familiar with that name? The false prophet. He's part of the trinity of, of hell. Okay, so let's talk about the second uh, beast. Verses 11 through 15, who is the false uh, prophet, who assists the, uh, the Antichrist and the devil in the population of the earth, worshiping them. So let's pick up now in our text in verse 11. Then I, John, saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and, but spoke like a dragon. Now these two horns, and again, this is subject to speculation, this may indicate his religious and political authority, the two horns. Or it could just be a, a, a reference to it or a description of a lamb who have two horns. We're not quite sure. So either or, uh, you choose. It, it really doesn't matter, I guess. In verse 12, and he exercises all the authority of the first beast, that is the Antichrist, in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. Again, another reference to the fact that he might have been resurrected, right? He might have come back uh, from death to uh, life. And notice in verse 13, he has the capacity to be able to perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of uh, men. Father's house, there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.